What if God didn't make the world? That's our question before us this morning. A few weeks ago, I did a similar sort of thought experiment with Jesus' death and resurrection, thinking about what questions arise if that didn't happen. The question that follows if those things didn't occur. Well, this morning, we're going to do the same thing with the claim made by Christians that God made the world. What questions arise if that isn't true? Now, I should state two things from the start. One, I won't be taking any particular line on how God created the world, whether he did it in six days, as some Christians believe, or whether he did it over millions of years, as other Christians believe. I'm not looking to prove one or the other. This talk is looking at what if neither of them happened, and then looking at what questions the main alternative to that, the Big Bang without God, throws up. Number two is that I don't expect to convince you that there is a God and that he made the world with this one talk. What I do want to show you is that the standard model with no God that you may have been taught all the way through your life or at school and all sorts of different ways is not as simple as it's made out. I want to show you that it's not the case that the Big Bang has disproved God, as is often bandied around. I reckon over the years, that's probably the main reason people have given me for not believing in God. But I want to show you that it's not as simple as it's made out to be. Now, we have our regular church crowd with us this morning. And if you're a Christian watching this morning, I want you to be encouraged by this talk. So often we can feel out of our depth with questions like this. But I want to show you that actually both sides are out of their depth with this uh, question. We can feel sometimes, can't we, as Christians, as we, we talk about God and a God who's eternal and timeless and then all those things that sort of come out as we talk about where the world came from. We can feel it's just a bit overwhelming and we don't know where to go. But actually we're going to see that both sides of the debate face almost exactly the same issues. So we've got four questions this morning, and our first one to think about is if God didn't make the world, then what went bang? What went bang? This is really the biggest and most obvious question, if you think about it. The Big Bang made the universe, goes the line. But what was it that went bang? Nothing can't go bang, can't it? It just doesn't work. It must be something that goes bang. Now, the standard Big Bang theory has it that it was a singularity. Now, bear with me for a second. That's the idea that everything that now exists was crammed into a single point. Think black hole, but on a whole other scale. The answer in the standard model is that everything in, was in that singularity and everything went bang. Thing is, though, if that is correct, then the Big Bang theory doesn't explain where the universe came from. According to this, everything has always been there in one form or another. The universe is eternal. Absolutely everything you can see is immortal, so to speak, from the largest star you can see to the tiniest speck of dust. Everything has always existed in one form or another. But then we're back to the same question. Where did it come from? And the Big Bang Theory itself gives no answer. 
If you want it in layman's terms, it's the chicken and the egg problem. The Big Bang proposes that the universe, the chicken, came from a tiny egg, the singularity. Now, either the egg, the singularity, has been there forever with no beginning, in which case, where did it come from? No answer. Or it came from a previous chicken. It came from a universe that went crunch. But if that's the case, then we do have the classic chicken and the egg problem. The normal answer given by scientists is effectively that we have infinite chickens, infinite eggs. It just keeps going back and keeps going back. Now, whilst that might sound really cool, it doesn't really answer the question. What started all that in the first place? What caused it? Now, Christians believe that God either made the egg, the singularity, or made the chicken, a formed universe. In either case, though, they have a cause, God. And Christians believe that God had no beginning. Now, people laugh at that, but really it's the same problem, isn't it? You either have an eternal God with no beginning, or an eternal everything with no beginning. Either you believe that that's uh, one time only, or that you have those infinite chickens going all the way back. Now, I wholly accept that an eternal everything without beginning is a possibility, even though it has those logical issues. But you can't really say then that the idea of an eternal God without a beginning is not a possibility because of the issues. Because actually, they're the same issues on both sides. You either have an eternal God or an eternal everything. So it's not that one is a scientific explanation and that the other one is a philosophical one. Both are actually philosophical answers. Both are beliefs. One is not superior to the other because actually both face similar philosophical problems. So here's a quote from an article about the Big Bang from a reputable physics website uh, offering a, a variation on the Big Bang uh, called the Big Bounce. But it's an interesting article because it points out some of the issues with this standard Big Bang model. This is what it says. The universal origin story, known as the Big Bang, postulates that 13.7 billion years ago, our universe emerged from a singularity, a point of infinite density and gravity, and that before that uh, event, space and time did not exist. And this is the, the kicker, which means the Big Bang took place at, uh, took place at no place and no time. So that again. The Big Bang took place at no place and no time. It then goes on to state in the article that there is no direct evidence of the original singularity. Now that article is by no means advocating that God made the world. But they are at least honest in exposing some of the issues surrounding it. Issues that both sides of the debate face. I mean, I've been asked, you know, well, how can God act outside of time? But then how can anything happen if time didn't start until the Big Bang? When did it happen? So it's really not the case that the Big Bang theory neatly explains the origins of the universe, whereas the Bible does not. Both face the same problems. Both have issues of evidence and both have issues around logic and order and time. Ah, you might say, but one is essentially a scientific answer. One says the universe came about 
uh, by a miracle, whereas the other one says that it came about by following the rules of science. But that brings us to our second question. Who made the rules? Who made the rules? If the universe came about by the rules of science, who made the rules of science? Again, let's go with the premise of the talk. What if atheists are right? What if the Big Bang without God uh, created the world? That the plasma and the singularity that went from the Big Bang became atoms and energy which formed into stars and planets and galaxies and nebula as they were attracted together by the laws of gravity. It was not God, but gravity that formed the universe. But then where did the law of gravity come from? Why do large things attract one another rather than repel one another? Where is that written? Where did all the laws and rules come from while we're on that? Why do atoms with a nucleus of protons and neutrons have electrons that go round them and not the other way round? Why does E equal MC squared? What decided the speed of light in our universe? And while we're at it, why are there laws at all? Why don't things just happen at random? You know, sometimes you drop something and it goes down. Sometimes you drop something and it goes up. But there are laws that we live, that we have in our universe. We live in an ordered universe. The very fact of science as a discipline depends on the fact that there are set rules that you can observe. Whatever you think about that reading from Genesis 1, it shows us an ordered universe, an orderly universe. Each thing is in its place, which is what we see in the world around us. It follows rules. But where then did those rules come from? It's all right saying that the Big Bang is scientific, but where does science come from? Where was the science behind the Big Bang? Why did it work? Why is there such a thing as a bang, or expansion if you want the technical term? And what if the rules had been different? Would that even have worked? If the Big Bang depended on these rules to work, then surely they must be older than the universe. They must predate the Big Bang, so to speak. So what set them? What even decided which ones would be set? Why is it that the speed of light in a vacuum is a constant, but time is relative? Why isn't it the other way round? If the Bing Bang happened according to the standard theory, these rules must have already been in place for it to happen. And it just so happened that these rules were perfect to make it work. Gravity not so weak that a, uh, with a bang that would just bring everything back together, or not so strong that it just exploded, uh, sorry, weak, sorry, the other way around. Gravity not so weak that everything just went everywhere, or not so strong that it just collapsed back in on itself. All the laws, it seems, in our universe are finely tuned to work. Well, the argument goes, you can only make the argument if you're there. So any universe where uh, that didn't work, you couldn't make the argument. That's what the, the line goes. You've got to have a universe that works to make the argument that it works. But there that assumes that there's more than one universe, doesn't it? That this isn't the only one that we've got. That there's a way of sort of a chance of us being in one particular universe. 
You see, the chances of all the rules of the universe being so fine-tuned to work is so astronomically small to be statistically impossible. Well, the answer that I've usually heard is that we don't live in a universe, we live in a multiverse. That there are many universes and we're just one of them where it worked. Quantum theory states that there could be an infinite number of universes with all sorts of different settings. But then we move from infinite chickens to infinite monkeys, typing out an infinite number of different rules for an infinite number of different universes. The theory goes that every variation of every event and every possibility is covered. We just happen to live in the one that worked, or one of the ones that worked. But that leads me to question three. We're going to follow them down the rabbit hole here. What is the evidence for that? What is the evidence for a multiverse? Okay? Now, I know this might sound a little bit niche, but this is where current scientists are increasingly going to back up their ideas. And this theory is becoming more and more mainstream. The idea that we live in just one of an infinite number of universes with every combination and every setting playing out. When you roll a dice, it says, for example, it may land on six, but that moment five other universes come into existence where the dice lands on the other side. We just live in this one that worked. If you want a popular version of this, then watch Spider-Man Enters the Spider-Verse, or Multiverse if you like, or Old Man Logan, or if you're not into superheroes, then Sliding Doors, uh, back in the 90s, or maybe early noughties. It's fiction, but it's based on this theory that many scientists put forward now to defend the fact that our universe works. To defend the fact that actually it would be statistically impossible if there were just one universe. Now it sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Alternate realities, infinite possibilities. You know, there's a universe out there where you are king of the world. There's a universe where oranges are purple and the sky is magenta. It sounds amazing. But here's my question. Where is the evidence? It may seem to solve the who set the rules issue, but there's really no evidence for it whatsoever. It's an answer, but it's an answer without proof. It's what Christians are accused of all the time, isn't it? It sort of feels nice for it to, the boot to be on the other foot. You just have to believe it, goes the scientists. Well, you may as well believe anything. The closest possible proof that scientists have come up with is an experiment where they fire a beam of photons, light, and somehow it seems to go through two slots at the same time, yet when you observe it, it only goes, seems to go through one. But even with that experiment the so-called many-worlds interpretation, is just one of five competing theories as to why that happens. Most of the theories actually think that it tells us something about the nature of light rather than the nature of reality. But here's the crunch. Even if the multiverse is real, even if the scientists there, their theory is right, who made the multiverse? Who decided in the multiverse that every iteration of the universe would be played out? What rules are the basis of the multiverse? Where did the infinite monkeys that are changing the settings come from? Who decided what dials or what things they could type? And we're back to the same problem. 
Who or what made the multiverse? Who or what made the rules of the multiverse? And there's no answer. It's far from a solution to the problem. It's just another theory that appeals to infinity to try and solve the problem. In my opinion, it's just an attempt to not have to provide a real answer to the previous question. But even if they're right, and we are in a multiverse, wouldn't that mean that at least one of the multiverses could have been created by an uh, all-powerful god? If every possibility exists, then couldn't our universe be the one that God made? Now, I'm sure that answer wouldn't be allowed, but I'm not sure why that wouldn't be allowed. You get, oh, it's not scientifically possible. But what is scientifically possible changes when the rules change, doesn't it? Why not a world made by a god if there's a multiverse? Okay, that was the third question. Last question is a little bit less less niche. Really simple question. Why? If God didn't make the world, then why is there a universe? Why are we here? Is there a purpose behind everything? Whatever scientific discoveries are made, they can never answer the why question. Not because science is bad or wrong, it's just not the right discipline to answer those questions. I think even prominent atheist author Douglas Adams got something of this when he wrote his hilarious A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He had his characters use science to come up with a a supercomputer to find an answer to the life, the universe and everything. The answer that this science-based giant computer comes up with is 42. And that answer really sums up science's contribution to the question. The answer's 42. You see, science is great with numbers. It's great with the what. It's pretty good with the how, but it's not very good with the why. As we've seen, when science strays into philosophy, it ends up actually in the same binds as everybody else. And science really is wonderful. I thank God for science, which has brought us better health, vaccines, technology, waffle makers, you name it. It's great. But it can't do everything. It can't answer every question. It's like trying to use a tin opener to write a play. It's just not what it's for. Let me put this the other way around, uh, another way. It's a variation of one of my favourite illustrations. I want you to imagine that you wake up one morning in a big white room. There are no doors or windows, there's just you and three others. The other three people, the one's a physicist, one's a chemist, and one's a biologist. None of you know why you're in the room, you've just all woken up there. Now the physicist, he goes around and he tells you the dimensions of the room. The chemist, well he goes around and he tells you the chemical makeup of the air inside the room and the plaster on the walls. The biologist confirms that you're all human. But none of them can tell you why you're in the room. None of them can tell you who put you there or what their purposes were. They can guess based on what they found. They can make an educated guess. But in the end, it's still a guess. Christianity's claim is that someone has come into the room to tell us what's going on. More than that, it's the one who's 
who put us in the room in the first place, who has stepped in, who therefore knows the reason, the purpose behind us being there in the first place. And that person was Jesus Christ. This is what he said about the why question. It's not quite as simple as 42, but bear with me. Jesus, the night before he was killed, prayed this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him to have authority over all uh, people that you might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What Jesus was showing us there is that God's purpose behind it all was his glory, especially the glory of his son. And we glorify him, we show how glorious and wonderful he truly is by knowing him and loving him. That is the purpose for which we were made. We were made to bring our creator glory by knowing him and loving him. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment is not thou shalt not kill or thou shalt do unto others. And The greatest commandment, said Jesus, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now I know that that is a lot to take in in an already very busy talk. I know that it would take a whole other talk to unpack that. But do you see, if Jesus is right, you're never going to get to that answer by equations. You're never going to get that answer from a test tube or a hadron collider. He says our purpose is to know and love someone. And if you think about us as human beings, isn't that what most of us are searching for? Someone to know and love? Could it be that those are echoes of our real purpose, to know and love God? But these things are not easily measured by science. Why? Well, it doesn't fit easily on a bar chart, does it, these things? And science is not there to answer those sorts of questions. When all is said and done, in some cases there will always be disagreements between science and Christianity. Often it's because we're coming at things with different starting points. Science tends to assume something isn't real unless you can observe or test it. But we've seen that's not always possible when it comes to those philosophical questions. Many scientists believe in a multiverse even though it's not been observed or proven. Most of the things that make life worthwhile can't be dissected or neatly put into a table or graph. Now, I don't want to go down the line that Christianity has nothing to say about science or that science has nothing to say about Christianity. What people tend to hear there is that Christianity deals with the airy-fairy stuff and science deals with the facts and the real answers. I'd like to say that both deal with facts and real answers, but often the questions they are answering are different, as we said before. But that means that science and Christianity do not always have to be enemies. Christians, you do not have to burn your science textbooks, disavow any technological advancements, post the pencil, and go live in a pre-1700s commune. Equally though, scientists, you don't have to treat Christians like simpletons, who have never considered those big questions, or the idea that the idea of a god might be a little bit out there. 
We don't have to be enemies. I've actually found over the last few years that Christians and scientists are increasingly standing on common ground. Both believe in truth. Both believe in truth with a capital T in a society where actually that's not often accepted. They disagree sometimes what that truth is, but at least they agree that there is one. The truth is, though, that if God did make us, then that has huge consequences. It means life does have a purpose. It means we are accountable for how we live. It means that we have the possibility of finding out about the one who made us and getting to know him. Perhaps if you wanted to do that, you could come along on another Sunday morning and hear a bit more about the God that the Bible teaches about. Perhaps you could get in touch with me or someone who invited you and ask them to tell you more about him and take that possibility of getting to know him. And why not spend some time this week thinking through the question? Why not give yourself permission this week to think a little bit outside the box? Just think to yourself this week, what if God did make the world? What would the implications then be? What would change about how I would view the world if there is a God who made it? What would have to change about me if there's a God who made me? What if God didn't make the world? But actually, what if God did? Well, I pray that we'll find some clarity on those issues as we think them through. And perhaps God will come into that white room, so to speak, and show us the truth.